Well, by any measure, you have to say that 2020 has been quite a spectacular year, hasn't it? It's been a year when we've changed from using the word Zoom to describe what you do in a car to what you do on a computer. And that's been a bit of a shock to all of us. But alongside of that, a virus has upended the world that we live in. And so we haven't just learned how to use Zoom to communicate, we've seen that some families have farewell loved ones in hospital on Zoom because they would never be able to touch and hold and hug nearest and dearest who were in their dying hours and minutes. It's been a year of incredible tragedy and great suffering. But in some sense, it's like every other year of human existence. Tragedy and suffering happens year in and year out. Uh, this year, just a few of the headlines were that a three-year-old was hit and killed by a car. A cyclist was struck by a car and made a quadriplegic. And a young woman had died just days after giving birth. And there are more and more instances that you could add to that list. Because life is full of suffering and difficulties. And as we think about the world that is full of suffering, we might well want to ask the question of God, where is the God of our universe in a world that is full of suffering? If there is a God who loves us and cares for us, why is it that he allows people to suffer in our world? And if you wanted to frame the question and understand it probably about a bit more depth, You might say something like this, if God is truly good and loving, then he ought to want to stop suffering. Do you get that? If God really is a good God who loves us, then he surely would be a God who wants to stop suffering in our world. And if God is all-powerful, then he has the ability to stop suffering. So why are we here at the end of another year recognising that the world is a place that's full of suffering? And just to be clear, the biggest problem for us isn't the sort of suffering that people bring on themselves. We're not too concerned about the drunk driver who wraps themselves around a tree in their car and suffers the consequences. We're more concerned with the innocent sufferer. We're concerned with the child who gets a brain tumour and suffers and dies, or the murdered uh, tourist on their overseas holiday whose life is taken in a terrorist attack. It's the innocent sufferer that really concerns us in a world that's full of suffering. And so we've had a look at Job this morning because Job is the innocent sufferer. Did you notice in the Bible reading? At Job 1 verse 8, God, descri- God himself describes Job as blameless and upright. He is someone who is blameless and upright and doesn't deserve all the suffering that comes his way. He has it all. He's blessed immensely with wealth and great relationships and a wonderful family. He's described as the richest man in the East. But he loses everything. He loses all of his wealth, all of his livestock, all of his servants, and he even loses all of his children. Job suffers enormously, and if that suffering is not enough, he loses his health as well, so that he has painful sores all over his body. Friends, if you and I want to ask the question, where is God in the world full of suffering? Where is God when I suffer in my life? Then Job wanted to ask it even more. 
because Job truly was the innocent sufferer. And he was ready to ask the question of God, what are you doing in my suffering? Let me read for you Job 23. If you've got a Bible, you might want to click open to this. I'm just going to read a few verses of what Job's complaint is before God. Job 23, verse 2 to 7. Job says, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, and he's talking about God. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. See, Job's heartfelt passion is to have his moment before God and to plead his case, and he's confident that if he gets that opportunity, it will go well. He's confident that if he has the opportunity to ask the question, then God would recognise his error and fix all the wrongs in Job's life. Well, thankfully, actually, as the book of Job unfolds, Job gets the opportunity to ask that very question. He meets God, and God speaks to him. But God speaks before Job gets the opportunity to ask the question. So he has to wait and hear God out before he launches into his description of everything God has got wrong in Job's life. And so God speaks out of a storm. And God says this in chapter 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of a storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud ways halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal, its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked have denied their life and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And see, let me remind you of the context. Job has the opportunity that he's been asking for throughout the whole book of Job, the chance to speak to God, to tell him everything that he's done wrong in allowing Job to suffer so that God can put all of that suffering right. And God speaks out of the storm to Job before he gets the chance to ask the question. What does God say? Well, we've only read a snippet of it. But for chapter after chapter, God describes 
is immense power and authority in the universe. He describes how he owns the universe, he made the universe, and he runs it. And if Job was to ask the question of God about his suffering, perhaps being wrong, if God perhaps needed to fix it, then Job needs to ask that question in the context of understanding that God is the God who owns the universe, who runs the universe, and does it all out of his own glory and for his own function. In essence, God is saying to Job, where were you when I made the universe and made it function? And do you know how the universe operates and the wisdom that holds it all together? Because then you'll be able to ask your question about suffering in the world. Remember, Job has said, if only I had the chance to speak to God face to face, I'd be vindicated. And so by implication, Job is saying if he gets his moment in the spotlight, if he gets God in the courtroom, then Job will be vindicated, but God would be condemned for allowing a world where there would be innocent suffering to occur. And at the end of a couple of chapters of God describing his awesome power and control over the universe, Job responds, and if you've read the whole book, you can be cheering him on and say, come on, Job, now's your time. Here's your chance to put it to God about all the wrongdoing that God has presided over in your suffering. Here's how Job responds. Chapter 40, verse 4 and 5. Job says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I was saying it. He's got his grand opportunity and he shrinks and retreats as quickly as he can to say, I don't want to say anything to the awesome God who controls the entire universe. If you know the book, you know that God keeps going. He goes for another couple of chapters of continuing to put the questions to Job. Where was Job while God was organising the universe and making it run? And Job continues to retreat as far as he possibly can. But God speaks some more words that are helpful in us understanding this. Let me pick up chapter 40, verse 7 and 8. God responds again to Job and says this, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Friends, that's what we're doing when we complain to God about suffering in our world. We're saying you're wrong to allow suffering to occur in the world. We are discrediting God's justice if we ask the question that Job is asking. And that's the problem. We say we are innocent of some of our suffering, therefore God is to be condemned for presiding over a world in which my innocent suffering happens. And yet in all of this, in in the book of Job, God is saying that is not true. God is saying it is possible to have innocent suffering in a world with an all-powerful and all-loving God, and yet God is still just and right in the way that he runs the universe. And put plainly, there's one bloke in the world, one man in the world who has had the opportunity to ask that question of God. 
And one man who perhaps had more motivation than anyone else to ask that question. One man who knew what it was to suffer personally, severely, innocently, and still have the opportunity to front God and to ask that question, yet when he had God right in front of him in the storm, he declines the opportunity to say anything. And God's answer is sufficient for Job. God's answer to say that he runs the entire universe and he controls all things and Job doesn't. That answer is enough for Job to stay quiet. So friends, God's answer to the question is simply that he knows best and Job doesn't. That God is infinite in wisdom and knowledge and Job is nowhere near even understanding how God operates in the world. And to the one bloke who was primed to ask the question of God, that answer is sufficient for him. Let me give you a, a, an, an illustration that I think will help us to understand this. When my kids were uh, young, little kids, Jen and I had a little ritual that we did every week. Every Saturday was Bolly Day. We bought out a lolly jar that was about this tall and this round. So it was absolutely packed with lollies all the time. There would have been perhaps 100, 200 lollies in this massive jar. Saturday was lolly day. So all four of our kids would know that Saturday was lolly day. And they all got one lolly. <laughs> and they saw this massive lolly jar. And more than once they complained and said, can't we just eat more? Can't we have all those lollies? That would be what's best. And Jen and I held fast, there was only ever one lolly on a Saturday. Why? We knew what was best. We knew what comes if you were to eat all of those lollies. We knew the sickness and the terrible feeling in the stomach for our kids, but we also knew what would happen to their teeth if we let them just go berserk week after week. Because we had some knowledge that they never had when they were little kids. Friends, might it be possible that the God who made the universe, who holds the universe together, who made the sun to rise this morning and will make it to set this afternoon, might it be possible that that God knows more about our universe than you and I do? So that we might be able to trust him in a world that is full of suffering and in a world that has a good and loving God who at the same time is an all-powerful God yet allows that suffering to continue year in and year out. Could it be right and proper for us to bite our tongue and to let that God preside over a universe that is full of innocent suffering? Could there be a purpose that is beyond our understanding and somehow for that to still be overcome? But that's the answer of the book of Job. It's the answer of the Bible, really. But God has a lot more to say on innocent suffering than just the book of Job. Because God goes on to speak to us from the cross. What is right at the heart of Christianity, the symbol of Christianity. Because the God we would ask the question about our innocent suffering, the God that we would present that question to is not a far-off, distant God who knows nothing of human suffering, 
It's a God who has chosen to take on humanity in order to suffer. So as we ask that question, ask it to the God who came to earth to become human. We celebrated that just two days ago. But he came to earth to be human for a purpose, so that he might suffer. And friends, Jesus is the only truly innocent sufferer in our universe who is guilty of nothing, yet suffered and chose to suffer. And Jesus suffered the injustice of two faulty trials. He was rejected by his own people. He was abandoned by his friends. He was flogged, spat upon, mocked. A crown of thorns placed on his head and condemned to death on a cross. And all of it to a man who was innocent. All of it to the God of the universe. All of this, even though he was perfect and perfectly innocent. Friends, as we want to ask that question, ask it to the God of the universe who came to be human. Ask your question about suffering to Jesus, the ultimate innocent sufferer, who took on suffering in order to ultimately end suffering for all time. God's ultimate plan is not that we would go year on, year in, year out, always seeing human suffering. There is a hope, the great Christian hope, that the Bible finishes with, that God will, in his perfect timing, end all human suffering for all time. So that anyone who has their trust in Jesus might enjoy a world where there is no suffering or pain. Let me end by reading Revelation 21, the picture that the Bible gives us of a world without suffering. Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer in the sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Friends, you might have intense personal suffering in your life. But know that there is a God over our universe who controls all things, whose ultimate plan is to end suffering. He's shown us that hope and that promise that if you keep your trust in the Lord Jesus, who suffered and died for you, you would enjoy it. A world without suffering for all time. And that Lord is one who is worth trusting.